0: Happy Friday. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. This is The Sean Spicer Show. We have a great conversation coming your way on term limits. Maybe you even brought this up yesterday at dinner, but we're going to get into it in a way that no one else has a great panel coming your way. Plus earlier, I joined Jake Tran on YouTube for an interesting discussion on campaign finance. Go check it out over on his YouTube channel at Jake Tran, T-R-A-N. All right, let's get into it. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. We are going to have an unbelievable panel discussion on term limits. Joining us today, John Fund. He's over at the Spectre. He wrote a book on term limits. Lee Brown, she's the head of term limits in the state of North Carolina, and she's running for Congress in the 8th Congressional District. And then former Georgia Congressman Doug Collins. Let's get into it. All right, guys. Welcome. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for being with us. Um, I know this is a conversation that a lot of people probably had at Thanksgiving dinner. They are frustrated with what's happening in Washington in particular. They wanna see term limits. Um, And I think in some ways it's an easy answer. John, you wrote the book on term limits. Tell me why, what, what the case for limiting the terms, especially for members of Congress is.
1: Well, term limits are part of an American tradition. While they were not mentioned in the constitution, the tradition for the first 100 and 150 years of our country was that members of Congress would abide by term limits. Abraham Lincoln did and strongly supported them. Uh, Governors were usually covered by term limits informally. Then over the time of the early 20th century, as politics became more professionalized, it became clear that term limits had to be codified into law. So over 40 governors are now subject to term limits. The president is subject to term limits. Uh, about a third to a half of state legislators, depending on the length of term or subject to term limits. And what I believe is that term limits are necessary because politics has now become a full-time occupation for too many people and we've lost touch with the concept of the citizen legislator, which is what our founding fathers envisioned.
0: You know, Doug, uh all a very compelling case. But <laughs> at the end of the day, to me, America is about us having choices. If we want someone to stay there for a while, they should stay there for a while. If we don't like them, we can vote them out. And we've seen cases where, you know, down, in, I live in Virginia now, Doug Good, uh, I mean, uh, B- Bob Good, defeated Eric Kanner, the majority leader in a primary. If the people want no, something, that-
1: no, actually, he didn't. Uh, Eric actually, Cantor was defeated by Dave Bratt, who is Dave out. Bratt,
0: my, my apologies. You're right. Uh, wrong district, wrong district, the fifth versus, I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Too much turkey yesterday. But I yeah. appreciate that, John. Thank you, Doug. Fair, good point. Dave Bratt defeated Eric yeah. Cantor, the majority leader. But I appreciate John making the case there that I feel like the voters, like part of the reason that at least my my take on this is that if the voters want something one way or another, they have a right to have it.
2: Yeah, and look, and I look, John, and our friends. I mean, we get along uh, on these issues. I think this is just a, a tactical issue. Uh, look at it. Here's the real issue. In the United States House of Representatives, the average length of service is about eight years, just a little over eight years, well within any term limit issue that's been around. The Senate is about twelve years to fourteen years. Again, you have outliers on on both sides, and you have unders on on the side as well. I think you're seeing that and elections. For me, have always been the the proper outlet. Now, you know, with uh, elections also becoming more and more polarized, and especially in precincts and districts that are you know only Republican or only Democrat, you're going to see that more and more. But other thing is that I'll show an example here in Georgia, which does not have term limits on its legislature. From 2000 to 2010, there was an 85 percent turnover in the state legislature. I mean it, this is happening inherently as we go along. The one thing though that I would say from my perspective on term limits which is you know I see it and get it and I've been in both the house and the senate and I mean, the house and the house in Georgia serving under those times was what it doesn't do and I agree with John that the founding fathers had you know this idea of Citizen legislators, but also they were very instrumental and also very detailed in how they would, uh, that they detailed the Congress and others. And I think if this was something that they wanted to put in, they could have, they didn't on any level. But here's the other issue what we don't talk about is taking the person out at the top, so to speak, the member of Congress, the senator, however you want to look at it. What we don't talk about is who that empowers, and it empowers the staff. It empowers those who stay in DC and are not subject to, and would never be subject to any kind of a term limit. I have friends in the state of Florida who have a very strict term limit in, in Florida and have for a number of years now. Um, they'll tell you, people who go in to try to talk to the legislature down there will tell you, they don't really care who the member is, they wanna talk to the staff. Yeah. Because the staff yeah. has actually become the members and they're unelected. So, I mean, there's there's sides to both of this. I think the reality is, it's something that sounds good. The truth of the matter is though, that most already bodies are electorally falling under what will be termed as most term limits.
0: Yeah. You just made like half of the case that I was going to get through in the next 20 minutes. All right, folks, I want to tell you about a guy named Leo Grillo that I've gotten to know. Uh, He is the founder of Delta Rescue. And if you go to deltarescue.org, you can get to see some of the great work that Leo has done to provide the world's biggest sanctuary for abandoned dogs, cats, animals of all stripes. It is amazing what they do at Delta Rescue right now. Uh, This dog that he found at one time was in trouble and underway. Leo rescued that dog, It was a Doberman, and named him Delta. You know why? Because that inspired Delta Rescue. It's unbelievable what they do over there. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. That's basically Leo's mission. And Delta Rescue relies solely on contributions from people like you and I to make it work. Talk to them about making this part of your estate plan. If you're an animal lover, you know this is where your legacy can match with theirs and they can help put together a tax saving plan. It's all on their website right now. So go to deltarescue.org, check out some of the great videos and the estate planning tools that they have there on their site for you. Lee, I want to get to you. You're running for office. You've led this effort in North Carolina. Um, when you, If you were to win and get to Congress, where would this rank on your priority list?
3: Well, frankly, Sean, I think it's fairly high. And to Doug's point, it's not that there aren't ever going to be outliers. It's that guardrails are good. They help us figure out what our timeframes are in which to get something done. So if I'm in the Congress and I'm looking at term limits in the House, I think five terms is fairly sufficient. That's 10 years, which should give you plenty of time to have seniority in a committee position and really answer to your constituents in an effective way. But, of course, part of the conversation around term limits is what are the numbers? There is a a false argument out there that the term limits folks are looking for one or two terms, and that's not reasonable because it takes a minute to get your voice But we've got to have something in place that says, look, we appreciate your service, we appreciate your expertise, but it is time to bring new blood in. When you look at the makeup of our current elected body, we have people that have served in there for over 40 and 50 years. And back to John's point, that's not what the founding fathers envisioned. If they had known that we would turn into a professional class of politicians, I think they may have structured that in the earliest documents. However, with George Washington leading the way, saying, I don't need to be a king. I don't have to lead forever. I think they falsely assumed that we would continue to have people serve a term and then go home so that there could be a next generation. But it also means that if you have term limits in place, you're going to have a more concerted effort for our existing legislators to bring in a good bench behind them to be bringing up the next generation of leaders and really teaching them the way We're just not seeing that right now. I'm a generation X and there's very few of us in elected office because we have baby boomers and silent generation that don't want to give up the reins of power. So there's got to be a way to find a balance. And I think term limits just causes that conversation to happen. Now, i got to point out to Doug's point about staff. There's no reason we can't put in term limits on staff too, Doug. If you're going to recommend that, let's make it all the same piece of legislation (laughs) and go ahead and drain some of that swamp at the same time.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, but, I, yeah feel but, like, I feel like, I feel like a... hiring, you know, that's a hiring issue. As you get to Congress, you're going to want to hire some people, and I think that's you know, you're getting into the right to hire here. That, I mean, a whole lot of issues, but, but I will go back to something I just said a minute ago average in the house right now is under 10 years,
0: average, yeah, no so, matter if you have 40 years, average is under 10. So, I want to break down some of this just piece by piece. John, I'll start with you. I grew up, I'm here in Virginia, you just schooled me on Virginia politics, uh, <laughs> but. But but I wanna I wanna I wanna take you up north a little to where I grew up in Rhode Island. We had two members of Congress there, small state, but as I was growing up, we had people like Claiborne Pell, John Chafee, who could stick around, get some seniority. And actually, John Chafee at one point was in Republican leadership and take a small state like Rhode Island and give us some power. Because if if people are constantly forced out by term limits, the big states, the New Yorks, the Californias, the Texases are constantly going to be able to dominate the key positions just by voting themselves into the key committee positions, et cetera. So walk me through why that wouldn't affect a state like Rhode Island or Delaware or Alaska or Montana.
1: Well, what you're referring to is the seniority system. Right. Uh, which unfortunately too often in Washington becomes the senility system. Uh, I'll refer you to Senator Diane, the late Senator Diane Feinstein, for example, who just left us in a rather sad state uh, in our final years. Look, uh, Sean, you began this program by saying you wanted to emphasize Congress as the debate topic over term limits. What Congressman Collins, whom I respect, brought up is the state legislatures. Yeah. Look, we had an election a year ago, 97% of House members who were incumbents won, not a single incumbent U.S. senator lost. So regardless of what you think is the length of time that members are serving now, they almost cannot be defeated. Incumbents have enormous advantages. And I don't think that's what the founding fathers envisioned. I don't think it's what the voters want, because over 80% of them say that they should be there should be term limits. As for staff and bureaucrats and um, other power players like lobbyists, private surveys have shown when people are asked what their real opinion is, staffers don't like term limits, lobbyists don't like term limits, bureaucrats don't like term limits because it's the younger, newer members, like when Congressman Collins came in in 2013, that have the fresh ideas, that have the vigor, where they want to, they want to, shake things up. It's the older members who stay 30, 40, 50 years who basically end up being controlled by their staff, controlled by the lobbyists, controlled by the bureaucracy. And finally, I'll just say to Congressman Collins, I'm really sorry to have lost you, because in 2012, when you ran for Congress, you supported a constitutional amendment on term limits. And then in 2020, when you ran for the Senate, I have it in front of me. You signed a sworn pledge that you would support a term limit on members of the House and Senate. So yeah. you, you, you not only agreed with it in 2012, you served eight years and agreed with it throughout the entire eight years. You ran for the Senate in 2020 and agreed on term limits. Now that you've left office, what has changed your mind? Because you've always been for term limits.
2: Well, number one, John, I I said, yes, I would support putting it before the House because I knew we would not have to go to the people. And i would say, fine, if you want to put that before the House, make it a constitutional amendment, go to the states. No problem. Sign that. Not a problem. And in 2012, your 12-year term limit for me would put me in my late 60s. I wasn't gonna run past my late 60s anyway, John. So it didn't really matter. But when you asked when you asked the issue, though, John, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the issue here.
1: So, Congressman, in 2020, you yeah. signed a pledge saying not that you wanted the constitutional amendment to go to a vote. You signed a pledge that you supported term limits for members of Congress. Yeah. I have it in front of me. So it's not. Well, so so don't evade the question. Why did you support limits as recently as three years ago?
2: Well, for me, it was more of an age issue in that one. And because, look, I still disagree with the fundamental concept of the term limits, even though I said, okay, fine, if this is what, you know, from my time limit, I'm not going to be there to fight this one anyway. The issue here, though, is really what I just said a few minutes ago about this, though, is is that what you're arguing is, John, I agree. The problem is it's already factually happening and we can point to the Nancy Pelosi's. We can point to others. But you're under the 10 year term limit that was just mentioned a few minutes ago. You're already under that in the House. You're basically almost right at it in the Senate as it currently exists. And so, uh, again, I get the outliers. I get the others. The other issue is, though, is from other members coming in. When you come in with other members, um, some of the members, and I appreciate the the new ideas and everything else, but I have a good friend of mine. I'm not going to you know, put him out there if he's you know, not willing to be. But he came in. He's a dear friend, very conservative. And by the time he honored his term limit, mean, he got out in, in his four years, his eight years, which he had said he would do to the, for his people. He fully admitted he had just gotten ready to where he was actually being effective in his job. Right. And, and to lose that person
0: has has affected. And I think that's something that you that you also got to look at. All right, friends, are you looking to secure your financial future? Then I asked you to call the folks at Bishop Gold Group. They are who I rely on during these uncertain. Economic times, interest rates going through the roof. Where do we put our money? What's secure? Bishop Gold Group is America's premier precious metals company. Uh, They can sit down with you and put a plan together about whether it's an IRA, you're a first-time investor, you're a long-time investor, how to diversify, what metals to get into. I have known these guys for quite some time. Integrity is a way of life for them. Uh, Transparency is something that they pride themselves on. When you call them, they sit down, create an individualized plan for you based on your specific needs. I know there's a lot of companies out there talking to you about precious metals. Trust me, you will not be disappointed with my friends over at Bishop Gold Group. You can reach out to them and talk to them right now at 844-984-1616 or click on the link below bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. And guess what? They've got a special promotion for you to start your financial independence journey. Again, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. So, so Lee, I want to bring you into this because I feel like the issue of staff keeps coming up. And, I, and I, as a former staffer who worked for, I don't know, 10 members of Congress, I, I do feel like, You're empowering. Like I, I'll be honest with you. You, you are empowering the staff. There's no question about it. And I think I'm not limiting the discussion. By the way, if we want to talk about staff, but you want to talk about people who hang out less on Capitol Hill than members, Uh, staffers after a couple cycles are hitting K Street. You know, they don't need term limits. They're out real quick. Uh, Empowering people who don't make that much money isn't really the. The I mean, like there's an incentive for staff to leave. uh, No question about it. But Lee, I think that the part of the problem that I've always found is that you really are. The, how the process works, even new members of Congress right now, the learning curve is so steep that the staff is up there saying, Congressman, this is how we need to vote. This is what the committee wants us to do. You're just going to make it even more so because there's going to be turnover. And to Doug's point, by the time you get there, between the obligations you have back home to raise money, et cetera, y- your learning curve on multiple committees is such that it's going to take you a couple of terms just to know what you got, what, what the key issues are.
3: Well, it is, but that's evidence that the system as it's working right now is flawed. It should not take somebody eight years to be effective in serving their constituent basis. So if you start realizing that if term limits are in place and there's more of a level playing field when it comes to tenure, it should make that eight-year member more effective more quickly just because there's a different playing field. Right now, they can't compete because all of the senior positions are Taken up by those who have that extremely long tenure. Now, look at that staff piece as well. There is no question that a really effective, experienced staff is helpful to somebody getting up and running. However, that's come up multiple times because it is an underlying issue all over our government. We have 3 million federal government employees right now, it is an entire class in and of itself. Oh, you know, question about
0: that. Yeah. Look, that, that to me is a whole nother subject, and I, again, I'm willing to go there, but I agree with well, you. I mean, the federal well, bureaucracy is where the problem is.
3: It is, but I'll say that the the staffers that work on the Hill are going to be part of that class. That's who they're interacting with and all these alphabet agencies. They're everywhere, and there, again, there's value to the institutional knowledge, but there's also value in somebody who's coming up from the district with their congressman who has intimate knowledge of what agriculture looks like today as opposed to somebody who's not been on the ground in decades. There's so many different ways to look at this. But again, it goes back to what the term limits actually would wind up being. And let's just say it goes to six term limit terms in the House, you have 12 years, that person then is effective after eight years, something we have to address, that should be time to get something done. Look at the Senate, maybe it's three, maybe it's four terms, 18 or 24 years.
1: so um, I think we can come to some kind of agreement here on a key issue. Okay. I take Congressman Collins's point that there can be members who pledge to serve only a certain number of years, and then we lose their them. Yeah. And of course, there are other senior members who keep on going. I don't believe in unilateral disarmament. I believe that we have to have every member of Congress covered by term limits. People shouldn't pledge to leave on individually on their own after an artificial period of time. They should work as hard as they can to get term limits passed, as it has passed in many state legislatures already, as East points out. So the member of Congress, um, if everybody is covered by the same rules, then the system works.
0: See, and I just don't, don't I have, don't, but I don't agree with that. I, I then, know, fundamentally-
1: the, members, the, the big states that you mentioned, they their members have to cycle off too. Sure. So what you'd have but is somebody becomes a committee chairman, whether it's from a small state or a big state, in two years rather than wait 20 wait, wait, years. just,
0: just, oh, wait, hold on. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Break down my Rhode Island example, Rhode Island, Delaware, whatever. You're the one member of Congress from Delaware or Montana. How do you ever become a committee chair because you go on to ex committee and there are four members from Texas and they say which is what they do now, by the way, in terms of they vote as a block, and there's a lot of instances where these delegations work together for obvious reasons. But tell me how somebody from Delaware or Rhode Island ever becomes someone in seniority or a position of power when they're going up against states that say, Hey, we'll all get we'll all vote to make sure you're the chairman or the subcommittee chairman or or in well, leadership. Well
1: well, well, Sean, you picked the wrong state because Senator Carper of Delaware as we speak right now is chairman of a major committee. Correct, Joe but, Biden, but, he, but Joe Biden majority. Joe you know, Biden was from no, Delaware under the Joe current Biden, Yes, but Joe you're Biden making my was point from Delaware
0: sure. and, and became You're making my point though. No, under
1: no. the current so, system, if everybody, if everybody is under a 12-year limit, right. that means the senators from New York and California have to leave too, I which get means that. That it doesn't – it changes – the playing field remains the same. No. It's just with a shorter number of okay. years.
0: Okay, then ba- well, let's walk through this baby step so I'm understanding you because right now you're making my point that Rhode Island, Delaware can use the current system to actually accumulate seniority. If everybody left at the same time and we all – let's say we all walk in tomorrow – we all, everybody, got cleared out this year. The new, the new class comes in. Okay, so that's where we are. There's 50 members from California, and there's one from Delaware. How does the guy from Delaware, under the current system, John, you are the um, member? How does that so person ever get? We injured? have
1: about we have about 20 states where the legislatures are covered by term limits. Guess what? The seniority system has largely been obliterated in those states because it doesn't serve the purposes of people who are only going to be there six, eight, 10, 12 but that's years. It's a different
0: dynamic. What, so no, wait, no, that's, because that's, it happens sure it because is. you have term limits. Very, because the seniority in state, system in no, those no, no, states no hold, on, hold on. You're mixing apples and oranges. In a state, so let's take Florida, for example. That's why I'm saying when you come into Congress now, if you come into the House of Representatives and, and everybody's equal, so we all have 10 terms, 10, 10 you know, 10 10 years that we got to go. First of all, you're assuming that everybody goes and comes at the same time. But how does that person right now, if I go into the House of Representatives, because in in Florida or California where they have term limits, they don't vote like it's not the same thing. All of the people from Texas will get together. All the people from California will get together and make sure that their state's interests are protected. That's not going to happen in a state legislature the same way.
3: But that's assumptive, Sean. And what if we look at this as an opportunity to put that seniority class to the side and start electing statesmen again? We have to get back to meritocracy, not just in the federal government, (laughs) but in any industry. And I think it will happen. But, okay, if, so yeah, let me break this down. From Rhode Island is excellent. They will rise up if we look at this as a chance to that's, elect. Yeah,
0: and I, 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 unfortunately, I don't know yeah. that that's. But yeah, let, yeah, me let, me, let me ask you this: um, If the state legislatures
1: that have term limits, the seniority system has largely gone away. So your argument falls apart because when you actually have, have, have term limits, right, it changes right. the dynamics. Let, me, does, let me jump you. No, no, let no, me do Let me I'm gonna,
0: hold on, Doug. I'm going to let you answer this, but okay. I just want to make sure we're arguing. The seniority system, yes, I agree with you, John. It goes away, but it it gets replaced by by regional interest. So everybody from Texas says, hey, there's no seniority. We're all equal, so let's all vote for Texas or for California. And then the small states get screwed. So, Doug, take it from there because okay. that's what uh, I- well, Sean
2: is making a point, but he's not giving the entire here. Here's what Sean's not talking about, and that's the steering committees of both the Republicans and the Democrats. Now, that is where the steering committees and they, the, the the state issues do come up. that could swing it where it makes it very – it makes it a lot harder for someone to uh, – move up in leadership or anything else. Now, funny part is in the state of Florida, the freshman class actually re- re- elects their speaker the very first time they come in, which I'm no, not kidding. sure is a good idea or not because you have absolutely no idea if that person is going to be any good or not. I mean, they may have made one good speech, but it may have been you know somebody written it for them. <laughs> but that's where they come in. The other thing is, and that's what I think Sean's trying to say is steering committees. Now, I will say this though for Republicans. Most of the Republican chairmen in the House are not the senior member of the committee. And okay. I, I, I was a victim. Was, I was actually one of that. When I became ranking member of House Judiciary Committee, I had like five other people who were much more senior than I was, but I became member because of the work that we did, the bills that we had passed, and everything else. Jim Jordan is not the most senior member of the House Judiciary Committee. James Comer is nowhere close to the House Uh, oversight committee tenure. So the Republicans have done a good job at what y'all talked about, about mixing up and going toward meritocracy on these committee ships, which
1: Congressman Collins, I agree with you. And guess what? The committee structure under the house Republicans exercises term limits. There may be an occasional waiver, but it's rare. So what you're describing is that term limits, under, because of the House Republican rules governing what, which Republicans appear on committees, term limits have worked in the Congress because I mean, the worried. House Republicans, no, no, no. No, no. You, all of the people yeah. you mentioned, are, are, are were elected by meritocracy. So you're yeah. making my argument for me because uh, I mean, the House Republicans currently operate under term limits.
2: But here's the interesting part. We've also had other chairmen who went on to other committees and was able to serve in lead Leadership roles there, John. You and I don't necessarily disagree on this part. I think the Republicans have done a good job internally making that happen. Now, the Democratic side, a whole different story. It's pure seniority, and that's it. That's the way Nadler's, hair Cheddar, The, the last issues. thing we
1: want to uh, do is follow their example. And
2: I don't disagree with you. That's why it's worth. <laughs> but you've also agreed lost, on that. Uh, but you've, yeah, you know, and we're fine there. But we've also lost, you know, some committee chairmanships and some seniority issues that that would. I think, you know, given two years. Now, next year, what will be interesting, the House will keep this. Here's what's going to be interesting, though. I don't think any time as ranking member ought to count toward chairmanship time. Right. And unfortunately, that's what we do have. So you're going to have folks like Jim Jordan, James Comer, Virginia Fox, and others who serve time as a ranking member who are now gonna be rolled off as chairman because of that time, I think it should be chairman and ranking member, those times should be separated. Remember, it
1: a- it's truly outstanding. They can seek a waiver and that yeah. is usually granted if they're truly outstanding.
2: Most of them most of them have, some of them haven't. We'll see what that happens. But then again, you're, if you waiver this away, John, again, you know, you're the not- The waivers are granted
1: about 5% of the time and that hasn't 5% really affected probably,
2: 5% you. 5% the, the please, But the rest me. of the thing we've never answered here, and I'm going to go back simply to, okay. to no, I'm not even going to touch the states for a second, simply to the issue, and I think because I do believe if you're going to go to a system in which you do have turnover based on time, not based on meritocracy, winning elections or anything else, then you do have to figure out the addressment of a bureaucracy that never changes among administrations by the way, Republican or Democrat, you don't explain the way the issue of staff and committee staff, which, by the way, are not employed by members, they're employed by the House or the Senate themselves, and the chairmen who have influence into that is how they come. This is one of the problems, why we have so much problems in appropriations, is because most of the appropriation staffers, and I think was said earlier, they've been there and deal with the agency so much that they're, they're, they're almost one with the agency in which they serve with. So the, these are all just issues. Can it be worked out? Probably so. But I don't think it can be denied that the minute you take away what I would never want to see with any term limit or anything else is take away the ability for the members of a district, the people in the district to have, have that dividing
0: satisfaction. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever, and they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we could lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable. You can take it with you. You can use it inside your house, and it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to forpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's forpatriots.com, includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to forpatriots.com, use code SPICER, For Patriots.com, you do not want to be without power in case something happens.
1: In 2012, you were elected to Congress. Yes. I'm glad you were. You ran for an open seat. As I pointed out in the last election, 97% of House incumbents won re-election. Not a single incumbent senator was defeated. Do you really believe... That you would have beaten an incumbent? How many incumbents in Georgia who are not were not appointed to a Senate seat have actually lost in the last te- decade? No, Tell me okay. how many. Yeah, Tell it, me how it, many.
2: Um, probably none. Here's the issue. You're making none. So we, you're making my point. You yourself right. would not have gotten into right. Congress right. if you right. had right. to run against an right. incumbent. Right. No, wait, the, right. let's clarify You yourself John, would not have been John, elected. John, but I ran yeah. it, wait, John. I ran in a redistrict seat. Okay, let's make that clear. It was open. It opened up was up as a redistricted seat, and which uh, Tom Graves had been put to the 14th. Nathan Deal became governor in, in that sense. But here's the other thing. Also, you mentioned all the boomers in our. I don't think, are, except for one member, barely maybe two. There's no boomers in the Georgia delegation from Republicans. They're all ex or are younger. The uh, and then the other issue here is that you're making my point also with a 97 percent on the incumbent side on this election cycle. Because when I tell you that the percent the years served is under 10 years and both and then about 12 or less in the Senate, the same thing is true is, yes, these incumbents are getting reelected, but they're not serving most of them, even what most term limits would be. Right. Congressman, in the
1: Senate, wait a second, in the Senate, do you know what the average age of a senator is now?
2: I mean, we're talking term limits, not age. No, no, no.
1: But age, age implies incumbency. No, in the I, Senate, no, we have the change, oldest man. Senate in American history. It's over 65 years old. You talk about boomers. We basically have geezers in the Senate, and they're the ones dominating the committees. And the and senators can't be defeated for re-election. But, but As I me, pointed me... out, in 2022, not a single senator was defeated.
0: Lee, I want the to bring Senate
1: you back. In. Is a seniority system.
0: Lee, I want to bring you back
2: in because <laughs> don't here's disagree the thing. on that one, John. If some of these okay. folks are shouldn't have ever be there, and I think the but the, but you made my point though. It doesn't matter how old they are, unless we're also saying if you're over sixty-five, you can't run for office, and I don't think you want to say that because at the end of the day, here the issue is if they're not serving twelve years or eight years, if the average is less than that, then it doesn't
0: matter what their age is. Well, and also if you take twelve off of sixty-five, most of these guys. Are entering when they're in their fifties or whatever, and then serving a couple terms immediately get there. Lee, I wanted the, the the thing that it's interesting is we keep talking about the word incumbency, right? Now I don't have the stats to back up the way that John does, but when I look at California and Florida in particular, I feel like people run for the House of of Representatives in Florida. They hit their max and then they wait for the person who's running leaving the Senate seat against their term limit, then they run for that, and then they wait for a House seat to open up in Florida. But if you start looking, and especially in California as well, anecdotally, I, I don't have the, the actual numbers to back this up, but it seems to me as though once you get elected in these states that have term limits, it just becomes a bouncing ball that I'm going to run for the next office. It's it's John, incumbency by... John, I, I'm Hold on. let me, can I, John, let me just get Lee into this, and then I'll, I'll let you get back in. Let me just make sure I'm, I get Lee into this conversation.
3: Well, I think that happens in every organization, not just in government elected official offices. It happens in trade associations and everywhere else that voters vote because there is always going to be a human uh, cheat towards the incumbent because that's the easy route. Now, that being said, if you have a term limit in place, there is going to be a limited amount of time in which to get something done to answer to your constituent basis. So once they go to the next seat, they should be making a new case. If that's not working though, maybe we should be addressing the fact that civics education in this country is a shambles. Our voters are not as educated as they were when our grandparents were voting and they paid attention to the system. So that's a lot of different things at play here that definitely. I, need I to be- I don't
0: disagree with that. I think that there's a, a money issue, a campaign finance issue, but that's the point: is that we're we're stopping, we're trying to stop one problem and creating a bunch more. And that's the thing: is that when you when I look at these states that have it, I go, "What have you really done? You've just rearranged deck chairs. It's the same people who are well, just no. running for different this offices." So
3: more, in North Carolina, our governor is term limited out after this cycle, so he's term limited out in twenty four. And there is great rejoicing amongst many people in the state because the voters would probably pick him again because his name is familiar. But his policies have been devastating to many groups in North Carolina. That being said, you start with term limits and it will become a different system over time. You can't fix everything at one time. And I don't think the term limits is the perfect solution to all that ails us, but it is the first bite at the apple with our elected officials to say, look, you are being elected. We want you to work for your constituents. We want you to honor the Constitution and go do it correctly. And you have this amount of time in which to get it done once you get reelected. Now, if you want to talk about the campaign financing and the constant campaigning that has to go on for our members, then probably at some point we should have three years for a House term instead of two because it never stops right now. But that's a different set right. of
1: that's a different argument. Problems. Yeah, I, I, I'm a former staffer in the California state legislature. I follow that very, very closely. I used to work there. Okay. Let me tell you what happens. There are 80 members of the assembly if you want to move up to the state Senate, there are only 40 senators, so you're automatically having playing musical chairs. Not everybody can have a state Senate seat. In addition, the Senate, the state Senate itself is term limited. There are many ways to serve in public office. Serving in the same job makes you stale. Giving you a chance to move to other jobs can often improve your performance. What happens in California? The mayor of Los Angeles is a former member of Congress. Uh, many of the people who serve in the legislature go on to serve on their board of supervisors of the local county which are very powerful Los Angeles county has right. 10 million people so th- you move around to other jobs but I can assure you it brings in a lot of new people we have more women more minorities more people of different backgrounds and aren't lawyers in California than we used to because frankly there are not enough jobs as you climb up the political pyramid to take care of everyone so you have you automatically bring in fresh blood all the time.
0: Wait, wait, you don't automatically, because, well, I guess to some degree, someone's got to run for the House, but my point is, is that what you're saying, or it seems to be, is that, hey, look, they just run for a different office, so you you might not have them as your member of Congress, but they're on the board. If you run for a
1: different office, it means you often can't succeed, because the incumbency is important. If you're running in a different district, if you're running for a different office, the level of incumbency protection doesn't apply. Well, not Most people who run for further office in California don't succeed. They lose in the primary. They lose in the general election. The stats are clear. We had far fewer minorities, far fewer women, far fewer non-lawyers in the California legislature than we have now before when term limits was not an an effect.
0: And you think that that you've also empowered a governor, right? You've empowered a state executive because now they know that there's not the seniority there to go push back against them. Well,
1: I don't think that it applies nearly as much because Governor Governor Noxious or Governor Noisome or whatever his name is, uh, is also is also term limited. People know yeah. that his power is limited.
2: You know, one of the things that brought up earlier, and, I'll just, and I know we're getting close to the end here, but I just want to bring this up, John. And you brought it up and it just hit me that, you know, in looking at this from a term limit perspective and, and the fact of, uh, you know, putting it in here and, incu- and going back, John, your argument about incumbents never getting beat. So in essence, what we're saying is not really a term limit. We're guaranteeing a fixed term. So with, incu- and, and that's something you got to think about because if we're saying, okay, you get eight years and incumbents never get beat for the most part, which is very, very true. So we're basically guaranteeing an eight year term, which goes back to this question. And so, I'm just going to throw this out there and say, would that be better than that? They don't have to go raise money. So they don't have to do these things.
1: Lee, makes a, Lee made a very important point. She says, and Sean made an important point too, there are campaign finance problems. There are problems of people running for office all the time, the perpetual campaign. There are discouragements to people running for office. I'd like to address those too, but guess what? Asking members of Congress or members of state legislators to change the campaign finance laws to make things more competitive, that's like asking check to deliver themselves to Colonel Sanders. They're you not going to well, do it. Exactly, well, okay, They're not going to do it. So in the absence of campaign finance reform, in the absence of the kind of reforms that Lee mentions or Sean mentions, term limits are a blunt instrument because the members of Congress aren't going to disadvantage themselves and reduce their advantages so, of can incumbency. I, can I, just, well, I, I to go say, right no.
2: By term limits, and I'm not Discrimin- i'm not even on to campaign finance that's a whole different issue but by basically that's standing- why members of Congress often
1: stay for eight years because they have such enormous right. campaign finance advantages right. over a challenger okay so heard let me get shot,
2: to- we've heard it but what we're saying here is this by doing so by the incumbency power whether they raise money or not irregardless of the campaign finance system okay but what we're saying is you're gonna be there eight years you're not going to get beat because you're an incumbent it does take the motivation of voters in those districts if they come in after two years and are idiots to vote them out, and that does happen occasionally.
0: So, and so, so let me ask you: Where we're at? I want to go around the horn and ask, and, and just and stick with this for a second, if you can. So, to change campaign finance law. Is a simple act of Congress. And I agree with you, John, wholeheartedly. I mean, that's like, I, I don't even know the best analogy right now, but the idea to say to members of Congress that you're going to limit how much you can raise your money to keep you in power, that I get it, right? But would it be easier to get members of Congress to agree to campaign finance so that they could only use the money raised for a particular office in a particular cycle? Maybe that's the answer. Or a constitutional amendment for term limits, which do you think is easier? Lee, I'll start with you and then we'll go around the horn. But just stick to that for a second, because to me, if you really want to change the system, the question is, which one is more realistic? And I would argue that as, as challenging it would ever be to get a member of Congress to vote on campaign finance reform, especially post-Chase Meehan, that that, that this, is, uh, this is an easier act of Congress than a constitutional amendment to limit terms.
3: 100% agree. Term limits is going to be more palatable because there are different things that can be discussed and debated in the implementation. And going back to Citizens United, I don't see that happening ever. I wish that there would be a conversation, but that's bigger than term limits.
2: Doug? Uh, The easiest thing to pass would be a a
0: constitutional amendment. Then it would go back to the states. That's
2: that's the easiest thing to pass.
0: You think it would be easier to pass a constitutional amendment limiting the terms of members of Congress than it would be to have the House itself vote to limit campaign finance?
2: well, yes, and the reason is because you're going to run up against the Supreme Court that has already ruled that money is
0: speech. Okay, I mean, there's there's an issue here that is much bigger. On oh, the no, campaign no, no, no. Running. There's a difference, though. No, no. Just so we're clear, there are limits. I mean, we, we the, yeah, it yeah. is regulated how much hard dollars you can give. Money is speech. There's no well, question about dollars, it. But, 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 but we're not going to get into soft dollars. And no, no, I think no. no. Voters, but but, yeah. but you could limit a member of Congress for only raising money. For the office they were seeking and the cycle they were seeking, and I think that would have a profound effect. And I, I think that would be completely. So what do you,
2: what would you do with if I if I'm if I'm a good fundraiser and I didn't need but a hundred thousand dollars to win my race and I raised five I raised five million. What do you want me to do with that other four and a half million? You want me to give it away?
0: Yeah. So the law right now Uh-hoo. says that you have the ability Uh-hoo. to either donate. Well, I, in my personal opinion, I believe I'm a party guy, so I believe that it should be <laughs> transferred to the party. You can return it to donors. It's the law currently exists for yeah. that. Just so, so, I so I clear. I think the worst thing that ever happened to
2: campaign finance, and I'm, I'm on record saying this, uh, McCain-Feingold was absolutely the worst thing that ever happened. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in this thing, and it was terrible. But because I want
0: to, I want to put the question though to to John. What do you think would be easier to pass?
2: We
1: had a solution to this. Every state that allows the voters to make decisions through initiatives or referendums passed term limits in the 1990s. By a five-to-four vote, the Supreme Court said that that wasn't possible. Well, since then, we have seen a new Supreme Court, whether it's the Shelby case on voting rights or whether it's uh, Roe v. Wade, where precedent has been overturned, and conservatives have celebrated those. The next Supreme Court, if this issue of term limits comes up before them, I think that five to four vote from 25 years ago would go away. You'd have a majority of the Supreme Court justices saying Congress can be limited by their own state voters as to how many terms they serve. If 24 states pass term limits again, the other 26 are going to pass them alone because nobody wants an uneven playing field. The way to do this is exactly the way that the popular election of U.S. senators was done. It was done because states voted for it in ballot initiatives and ballot referendums, and they forced the other states to go along in 1913. That's how we got the popular election of senators. The Supreme Court is going to overturn this precedent sometime in the next 10 years.
0: All right. So let me just ask one more question before we wrap this up. Well, it's two questions. It's one question with two parts to it. Number one, what should the the limit be on members of Congress if if you support it, which I don't? uh, How many years? And secondly, would you do the same to the federal bureaucracy and for how long? John, I'll start with you. Give me a number on both.
1: Well, if the voters are given this option, they will pick a shorter limit, perhaps even shorter than I want. It would be much better if the members of Congress passed a 12-year limit for the House and a 12-year limit for the Senate. Otherwise, the voters will always want a shorter limit.
0: Okay. What about federal bureaucracy?
1: The federal bureaucracy is very simple. We need far more political appointees in the bureaucracy so a president can actually impose their will. You saw that with the White House Personnel Office when you were at the White House, Sean. The White House Personnel Office only had 3,000 jobs to fill. I agree with you on that. We need a whole lot more presidential appointments in the
0: bureaucracy. I agree. Lee, give me a number on both.
3: I totally agree on making them political appointees instead of full-time jobs. So high five on that. For me personally, it will be five terms in the House and three terms in the Senate, which is, of course, uneven numbers. But to John's point, the public would pick far shorter numbers. And, of course, we know 83 percent of registered voters, regardless of party affiliation, want something like this. So it's actually in the best interest of the Congress to put this forth themselves with a number of some right. sort to act as that guardrail. But I'm five and three.
0: Okay, uh, Doug. Do you, I, I just I don't want to yeah. put words in your mouth. So tell me where, where you come down on this as we end this.
2: No, I mean, look, if you're going to have a number, I go with John because I don't think senators are better than House members. So I mean, at this right. point, you're going to put both <laughs> of them on there at the same time. Um, but and then, but I, I think you're look the it was a whole nother day, whole nother topic. This idea of making political appointees of everybody in the in the bureaucracy. Oh, not everybody, now, but many more than we have now. Could be, and I agree. And I agree. So that, but that's got to be another
0: topic. But that's a very. Yeah concerning process. I'll just right. put it I agree. All right. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, thank you all for spending your post Thanksgiving with us. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday. Thank you for subscribing. Please make sure that you go to Apple during the weekend as you're decompressing from your Thanksgiving. Give us a five-star review, re- uh, subscribe, and hit that notification button on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in to The Sean Spicer Show. We'll see you back here on Monday.